If you're just joining us, we're, we're finishing tonight in a little four-week mini-series on the subject of community. And each week we've been looking at a key ingredient that goes into Christian communities, to see Christian community become all that it can be. And uh, the first week we looked at a community of Jesus, and, and basically the point was that without Jesus, all of this is a complete and total waste of your time. I mean, the reason that Thrive gathers is to exalt Jesus, to exalt what he did in his death and in his resurrection, and to know him more, and to help other people know him more. If, if Jesus isn't the very center of Thrive, if he's not the foundation of Thrive, all of this, all of Christian community, waste of time. Uh, second week, community of grace. How does grace create community? Third week um, was, I, Devante spoke that last week on a community of trust, on what it looks like to actually be a community where you're able to actually be honest and real with the things that you're in, going through in life and not just putting on a mask, putting on a face. And then this last week, the, the subject for tonight, I'm kind of calling a community of evangelism, a community of evangelism. And um, I'll explain a little bit what I mean by that in a minute. But just before even jumping into that, what I want to do is just open it up actually to all of us and ask a question. The question is, what, just one or two things that God has been showing you, teaching you through this series the past couple of weeks. Maybe do this for just 30 seconds. Just turn to a couple of people next to you. And think about that question. What is, it, what is something that God has taught you through this series over the past couple of weeks? Okay, I'm going to bring people back together here. And maybe just if one or two people wanted to just stand up and shout out what it is that you've learned through the series over the past couple of weeks, just patience. go for it. Patience. Yeah, patience. So like patience in Christian, in, just with people. Yeah, well, I'm sorry, you're probably the only person in this room tonight who uh, has to work on that one. <laughs> Without Jesus, it's pointless. Without Jesus, it's pointless. Yeah, that's good. I was encouraged that um, if community doesn't exist in any part of my life, I have to create it. And it's not something that often happens naturally. It's something we have to find the direction of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Well, so intentionality in community and I think, yeah, the role of the Holy Spirit in forming community. It's not like you can just snap your fingers and say, hey, I want to like, go really deep with a bunch of people. Anything else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. I mean, raise your hand if you've ever like, gotten to travel internationally and have spent time with other Christians from around the world. One of the coolest experiences of just getting to realize that, man, this person who speaks a different language comes from a different culture than me. There's a bond between us that's deeper than, deeper than anything else. And I just met this person five minutes ago because Jesus is there. So, man, I'm so encouraged. I'm so glad that like, God has been using this series. And we're just going to wrap it up tonight. Um, with just one final topic, which is how community and evangelism go together. And just, you know, a little disclaimer here, of all the Christianese out there, um, the word evangelism probably is just one of the absolute worst. You know, so just by way of definition, if I were to define what that word evangelism means, sharing the good news about Jesus with other people. So, you know, to put that another way, evangelism is having a public faith. You know, we live in a culture that says right now that you can practice your belief, but just do it in private. Don't actually go out and, and, and share it with other people. 
Culture says, go private. Christianity says, go public. So evangelism is simply having a public faith. And, and it's, it's, it's a loaded word because uh, there are a lot of, I think, uh, maybe call them bad tastes in our mouth that come with the word evangelism. And um, just by way of a show of hands, like just loud and proud, stick up a hand in the air if you've ever been scared to share your faith. Okay. Uh, I, I, I would number myself among you. And you know, one of the reasons that it's got a bad rap, I'm actually not going to tell you. I'm just going to show you. Um, there should be some pictures that I think will come up on the screen. And uh, I, I just picked out a bunch of different pictures that kind of are stereotypes of different ways that uh, you might have seen evangelism done in the past. And what, what I would ask is, as we watch some of these pictures go by, if these pictures in any way, shape, or form give you any kind of like bad juju or just sort of rub you the wrong way, just like stick up a hand. Are those photos up there, Whitney? Ah, <laughs> oh, man, we're just having a... Uh, there we go. Okay, there's one. So you got, you got a guy standing on a street corner there? Soapbox. Soapbox, yeah. Okay, next one. The uh, classic sandwich board. Anyone? I, I'm, I'm seeing some reactions here. Okay, next one. So this is Billy Graham. Yeah. Uh, another one. So this is just two people having a conversation. Oh, are we on? Ah, oh, there we go. We are on. Okay, next one. Anyone ever had this happen before? I think if you look closely there, you can see that's a Book of Mormon, so there's some Mormon missionaries. Next one. That's a classic gospel tract beneath the windshield of someone's car. Another one. So this one, anyone ever heard of Alpha before? Yeah. yeah, so that's what this is. A conversation about faith around dinner. Any, any hands on this one? Okay, I'm seeing some hands. Yeah, okay. And then anyone ever seen this guy? Yeah, so some of you guys might have seen this guy. He shares the gospel at the Tacoma Mall and always is wearing a different color suit. So, thanks for humoring me. Point is, you know, lots of different ways that people have understood evangelism. And, and for various reasons, I'm not saying that any of these methods are good or bad. For various reasons, it is possible that sometimes you can be rubbed the wrong way by, by it. But at the same time, I mean, we know that it's good to share your faith. I mean, not only did Jesus say that that's something that we should do. But I mean, e even people who don't know Jesus know this. I actually had a girl once who was not a Christian say to me, well, man, like, I don't get it. Like, if it really is true that people who don't know Jesus are going to go to hell, like, why doesn't anyone talk to me about him? Like, it would be the most loving thing for them to do to tell me about him. I mean, don't they care about my eternal destiny? So, even people who don't know Jesus know that, like, there is something really important about going public with your faith. And so the question is, you know, what's, what's the secret sauce? Like, is there some way that community and evangelism are kind of meant to tie together in order to see evangelism happen um, in a way that not only works, um, but actually doesn't have the potential to kind of rub people in some of these, these wrong ways. And so what I want to try to show you tonight, and I'm going to use a number of different scriptures to do this rather than just one single passage, I want to try to show that all Christian community is inherently evangelistic. All Christian community is inherently evangelistic. And then from that, I want to cast a vision for what it would look like to do evangelism not just in community, but actually through community. So 
roadmap for tonight. Two things. First thing I want to show you is that community and evangelism go together. And then second thing, how community and evangelism go together. So that they go together, how they go together. So first thing, that they go together. Um, you know, okay, one, one more question that I just wanted to throw out there that I'd just have you turn and talk to someone about. Uh, question is, how has God used community in your own life to grow your faith? How has God used community in your own life to grow your faith? So just, again, kind of turn to someone next to you and just take a few seconds and answer that question. So anyone on, on this question, just, again, if you have an answer, just uh, stick up a hand or shout it out on how God has used community to grow your own faith. <laughs> Man, oh, I hope uh, you guys, uh, never mind. <laughs> how has God used community in your own life to grow your faith? Thrive. Thrive, Okay. <laughs> to challenge my views. To challenge your views. Okay. I saw Skylar with a thumbs up for that one. I was agreeing with that. Agreed. Okay. Wow. Yeah, awesome. Accountability. Accountability. Yeah. Encouragement. Encouragement. Inspiration. Inspiration. Resources. Resources. Yeah. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, all ways that I could relate to as well. Um, and just by way of a story here, um, my own answer to this question would be that, you know, I grew up in a, in a church uh, from the time I was, you know, as long as I could remember. But I never really had any Christian friends growing up. Um, a lot of different reasons for that. Point being, I just didn't really have a whole lot of very close Christian friends. Um, in fact, uh, in 2005, my family started going to a new church, and I was kind of there during my formative years of middle school and high school. And I remember um, years later finding out that Dustin Polly, we went to the same church together growing up, and one day his dad saw me sitting in church by myself, and his dad kind of nudged Dustin and was like, hey, go sit next to that kid. I'm like, he looks really sad and lonely. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, kind of, that was kind of my experience of community. Uh, but then Christian community eventually did come into my life, and it came into my life in the form of four friends. And uh, there should be a picture on the screen of this. If uh, technology decides to... Get along. Yeah, okay, so this, this is this picture, and the reason that it's all beat up and kind of crinkled is that this photo um, was a photo of these four friends of mine that I made kind of in late high school. Uh, one of us was like a German exchange student, and then a few others, uh, my friend Lauren is up there, and my friends Rachel and Becky, and, and this was my first ever experience of really having Christian community, and it meant so much to me. Like, it meant so much to me that the summer after my junior year of high school, I was on a study abroad program over in Europe, and I printed out this picture, and I would carry it around in my pocket everywhere I went because I just missed my friends so much, and they just meant so much to me. And, and, and this little community was basically what it was. I mean, they, through their love, helped me experience what God's love was in a way that I'd never, ever had happened before. And the crazy thing about this, too, was that it was a, a two-way street. It wasn't just that they helped me understand the love of God, but soon other people started to understand God's love as well through this little group. So, for one thing, you know, there were these non-Christians who started to hang around this little group of the five of us. And it was like there was some sort of experience of love that was just contagious. Like, other people saw the love that we had for each other, and they just wanted something of that. And then, you know, we got intentional about reaching out to people, and we found some fun, practical ways of doing that. Probably the most notorious one was that we started in our senior year of high school, 
serving waffles to people for free in the middle of the high school commons. <laughs> no food handler's card, no nothing. I have no idea how we got away with it. But we would give out these free waffles as a way of trying to just like show an act of kindness to people. And you know, we had like three suicides happen my senior year. So it was, just, it was a year when a lot of people were just having a lot of challenges and struggles. And we, and we would pass out these waffles and use it as a way to build a relationship with someone. Um, and, and so this was an example in my own life of how God used community both to teach me something about him, um, but also to show others who he really was. And I mention all of this because this is what church is meant to be. This is what church is meant to be. I mean, do you realize that all along, God's plan has been to use community to show himself to a lost world? So think about this. The first, first, God wanted to do this through the nation of Israel. If you go back to the Old Testament, there'll be a couple of verses on the screen that I'll, I'll read here. The first one's from the book of Exodus. And in Exodus chapter 19, God is speaking to the nation of Israel. This is after they've come out of Egypt. And he says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the point in calling Israel a kingdom of priests, you know, priests were those who represented God to the rest of the world. And God wanted to use his chosen nation to be a demonstration of who he was to all the other nations who didn't know him. Another verse here is from the book of Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, this is uh, 4 verses 6 and 8, it says, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws I am setting before you today? And it's the same idea. Like God wanted to use... Israel to be a demonstration of who he was. And then just one last one. This is from Isaiah chapter 2. And this was this promise that God made to Israel that one day they would sort of get to be that light to the rest of the nation. So uh, Isaiah chapter 2, in the last days the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his way so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. And so he's saying he wanted to use Israel to basically have them be this light to all the other nations so that all the other nations would stream to the true God and actually come to know and worship him. But the problem, of course, in all of this is that Israel failed. That instead of showing God's love to a lost world, Israel got lost herself. And so the question is, well, in this current age that we're living in, who is God going to use to show himself to a lost world? And the answer is us. The answer is the church. I mean, when you hear the word church, I don't know what kind of, you know, what kind of connections or, or, or memories that makes you think of. 
you know, like weird worship or bad experiences or, you know, just lots of boring Bible studies. I don't know. But, but the point is, church is so much more than just a building. You know, we think of church as a holy building. But according to the Bible, the church is not a holy building. It's a holy people. It's a community of people who have been saved by Jesus. And God's plan from the very dawn of time was that this community of people called the church were going to be his testimony to how good and great he is. You know, if you wanted to put that another way, it's a little bit like saying that the church is front and center in God's display case. You know, so remember the book of Job? In the book of Job, Job is this guy who, like, goes through all of this crazy suffering. And, and all throughout the book, he's saying, God, like, why am I suffering? I didn't do anything wrong. And when God finally shows up, he doesn't actually explain to Job the reason for his suffering. It, it remains a mystery. But instead, what God does is he shows Job himself. And what he does is he takes him on this, this grand tour of all of the different parts of God's creation. He shows him the skies, the oceans, he shows him the heavens, the, the storehouses where the snow belongs, the, you know, the different animals, the hippo, the ostrich, all these different things. And the point in all of this is he's, he's basically saying to Job, he's saying, Job, you know, look at all of the, the different ways that I take care of my creation. I mean, I take care of the, this entire universe, you know, hundreds and billions of galaxies, like I hold all of it together. If I can take care of all of that, then surely I can take care of you. Surely I'm still trustworthy. So what God does is he says, if you want to understand who I am, look at my display case. Like, look at all of the things that I've made, all of the things that I've done, and it's meant to be a pointer to who I really am. So if that's what was in the display case that God showed to Job, question is, what's in the display case now that he's showing to the world? What's in the display case now is us. It's the church. So just look at, look at these verses. I mean, these are maybe a lot of really familiar verses to some of you, but maybe not quite in this way. So look at Ephesians chapter 2. God raised us up with Christ... And seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, he might show or display the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness in, to us in Christ Jesus. So he's saying when people see the mercy that I've shown to my saved people, the world's going to look at that and say, wow, what kind of God would do that? Or Ephesians chapter 3. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And he's basically saying that the church is on display not just for the world, but for the angels. That literally to the entire spiritual realm, the church is what God points to when he says, this is who I am. This is how good I am. I laid down my life for this group of blood-bought people who didn't deserve it, who rebelled against me. You know, I took upon myself all of their sin, all of their punishment, and I did this while they were still my enemies. I mean, I laid down my life for people who spat in my face. And when you think about what it would be to see that in, 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 this, in the centerpiece of all of God's works, to see that in his display case, I mean, what better testimony could there be to the character of God? And then just one final verse here. This is Matthew chapter 5. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. 
Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So it's the same thing. It's the same thing. God wants to use Christian community in order to be basically a lighthouse, to show a world in darkness what the light of, light of Christ looks like. And what that means, if you were to kind of summarize all this, if you were to ask God if God has an evangelism strategy, I mean, you go to a, go to a lot of different churches and one of the questions you might ask is, well, what's your evangelism strategy? And you might get all kinds of answers. You know, we have this program and that program and Alpha and, you know, all these different programs. God's evangelism strategy is just the church. He's put the church in the display case to show the world who he really is. And, and you can kind of imagine, just based on what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, how, how, that, how that works. So when the church is actually being the church, and it's a community of love, what that means is that the world is getting to see a whole lot of messed up people of all different shapes and sizes and colors and classes and races and languages and political parties. And we don't come together and simply tolerate each other. You know, it's not just kind of like, well, you know, I guess I'll hang out with you. I don't really like you. But no, like, when the church is being the church, we're supposed to love each other. We're supposed to not be able to get enough of being with each other. And when the church is being the church, it would be a community of trust, like what Devante talked about last week. That it's where all those messed up people allow others to share that mess with them. (laughs) You know, confessing sin to each other, forgiving each other, praying for each other, restoring each other. And the world is absolutely starved for all of this. Remember what Jesus said. I mean, he said, it would be by this that all men would know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So when the church sees the, when the world sees the church loving each other, speaking the truth to each other, basically just being the church to each other, it's going to see that. It's going to say, man, I want some of this. And if you want proof of just how in need our world is for us to actually like get our act together and be the kind of people that God died for us to be, Just look at these pictures. All I've done here is I've pulled together a bunch of pictures of just headlines from the last couple of months, last couple of years, of just stuff that's going on in the world. Just look at these. And Whitney, you can just kind of scroll through these, you know, one every couple of seconds here. It's the refugee crisis. Paris terror attacks, do you remember that? And then this one, which was in the wake of some Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter violence. And I mean, just look at that headline. It says, who can heal America? It doesn't say what can heal America. It says, who can heal America? And I mean, just, this is the world we live in. I mean, how can you read the newspaper, <laughs> open, the, open, open the internet, just go through this world and and not realize that God wants the church to be a light in a world of darkness. He wants us to actually be the church and and to be the kind of community he died for us to be so that a world that's in darkness would have hope. We're, the the church is in, in is in the display case. And 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 you know, just one more way to think about this. Anyone ever heard of the word hermeneutics before? Hermeneutics, yeah, Devante, Bible college. Yep, thanks. <laughs> Hermeneutics, it comes from a root word that means to interpret. 
And that's why hermeneutics is the branch of theology that has to do with how you interpret the Bible. So how you understand the Bible. You can kind of think of that word as it's like a, a set of glasses that you wear that helps you understand what the Bible is really all about. So, so that's what that word hermeneutics means. About 50 years ago, there was a famous Christian missionary, a guy named Leslie Newbigin, and he famously described Christian community as the hermeneutic for the gospel. Christian community is the hermeneutic for the gospel. And what he's saying by that, he's saying that community is how you demonstrate what the gospel is. That community is how the gospel makes sense to people who are not Christians. That when a group of Christians is loving and serving and sharpening each other, it makes the penny drop. And people look at that and they say, that's what the love of Jesus looks like. So what is the church? (laughs) The church is God's evangelism strategy. And I want to give you just two implications of what that means. First thing that that means is that how you live actually matters. How you live has eternal significance. Not just for yourself, I'm thinking about for others. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Or another way you could translate that, on a day of visitation. And I think the idea here is Peter saying that non-Christians may look at you following Jesus and they may mock you, they may reject you, but you're going to leave a lasting impression on them. So that one day when God walks by their life, when God visits their life, when God does something to just convict them and, and, and draw them to himself, he's going to use the example of your life to do that. That He's going to open up their nostrils to smell the aroma of Christ that's coming from your life. And they're going to say, I want some of that. And they're going to come to Jesus and give glory to God. But if you don't live that kind of life, then your life is going to smell kind of bad. It's going to not point people to Jesus. It's going to lead people not to glorify God. And and the crazy thing about this verse is that this is true not just individually. It's true corporately. This verse is in the plural, which means that God wants to use a community to leave an impression on those who don't know Jesus, which is why it just wrecks me whenever you know you hear about another pastor who's fallen or another church that's tearing itself apart and and factions and rivalries and in selfishness it's tragic for them and it's tragic for jesus because his name is getting dragged through the mud instead of leading people to glorify god it leads people to mock god instead so how you live not just individually, but together with, all, with everyone in this room, how you treat one another actually matters. And then second implication, and this one is a little bit more positive. Christian community is therefore able to be both internally strong and outwardly focused. Christian community is able to be both internally strong and outwardly focused. So the reason I say this is that, you know, when we imagine community, a lot of times there's a bit of a tension that you imagine because Either you think we, we, you know, we, we come together and we focus on ourselves. You know, it's about building ourselves up, strengthening our faith, doing things with other Christians. Or you focus on others. You, know, you, you go outside the walls of the church. You, you're around other people who don't know Jesus. You're, you're witnessing to your friends who don't know Jesus. But true Christian community means that you can do both at the same time. You can do both at the same time. Because as you, you build up other believers... That actually is what can help reach out to those who don't know Jesus. Because when you're building up other believers, when believers are loving each other and caring for each other, that itself 
is part and parcel of what God wants to put in his display case. That's the light that the world is looking for. And, and the problem is that, of course, we're, we're selfish. You know, there's always going to be this, this awful, horrible temptation to, to kind of leave off the outward focus part. You know, it's almost like there's like this, this, this like gravitational pull that wants to take Christian community and just make it all about ourselves. But all I'm trying to say is it doesn't have to be that way. You know, that kind of inward-focused Christianity that, that kind of leaves off being open to people who don't know Jesus and welcoming them in and being a community that, that gives itself away that doesn't exist for itself, I call that country club Christianity. Where church is just one big country club, or Thrive is just one big country club, where everything the church is and does, it's all about our needs and our desires. You know, it's all about helping you. It's about hanging around the people that you like and who are like you. You, you spend time with only people who encourage you. And I don't know about you, I just don't want Thrive to become a Christian country club. <laughs> yeah, I mean, any, any people agree? <laughs> I just don't want that. It's not exciting when that happens. I mean, it becomes ingrown, it becomes stale, it becomes a little bit gross. <laughs> That's not the kind of community that Jesus died to create. And there's, no, there's nothing more exciting than to be with another group of Christians where you're watching God work within a group of Christians, to, to see other people meet Jesus, to see transformation happening in people's lives. Like, I mean, I remember back in 2012 when Thrive first started and I was coming for the very first time. It's just like, you know, some guy. And, and one of the things that just like was so powerful to me, the reason I kept coming back is I, I just saw people's lives being transformed. There was like this amazing energy in the air of Jesus just moving and working through all the people sitting in this room. That is the kind of community that I want to be a part of. Where, where through what God is doing in us, he's also doing a work through us. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So, I'm about to move on here to this, this, this last little point really quick. But just, you know, one, one just quick little application for this. This week, I was talking to a guy who um, is now someone who comes here regularly. But, man, just something he said really kind of gutted me. He said the first time he came to Thrive, had never been before that he was here the whole time and not a single person talked to him. So just, you know, as an example of kind of what it looks like to just not turn into a Christian country club, just, you know, think about that story. And, and think about the fact that, man, you know, just by having a conversation even, that can make a much bigger impact in someone's life than you might think. So that, you know, that's the first thing. I just want to show you that Christian community and evangelism go together. But now I, I want to put just a little bit more flesh on those bones, and I, I want to go a little bit deeper into how they go together. What does it actually look like? What does it look like to put legs on this idea? And so this is just the nitty-gritty, okay? So one reason that I think we sometimes struggle with, with putting these two things, community and evangelism, together is that when we think about our lives, our individual lives, they look a little bit like this picture, So here's a guy who's sort of this heroic, solitary individual trying to juggle all of these different parts of his life. So, you know, you look up there, there's, you know, like, uh, you know, something related to his job, something related to his, uh, you know, I think that must be a church up there or something. So everything, even, even church, even Christian communities, just kind of one more thing to juggle. And when, we, 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 when you try to do that, church just kind of becomes one thing among many. Um, Christianity kind of becomes one thing among many. But here's a picture of a little bit more of what I think it's supposed to be like. 
So now this one is sort of a picture of a wheel. And at the center of the wheel is Christian community. But instead of that just being one more ball that you juggle, the community of Jesus is what shapes you and everything else you do. All your other activities in life are just spokes that jut out from your core identity as a member of the people of God. Isn't that cool? So so think about sharing your faith in in the context of this. In the first model, that's just one more ball that you're juggling. I mean, you sign up for like the next outreach event that Thrive does, or you go on the next mission trip, and it kind of becomes just one more event in your already busy life. And, and hear me here, I'm not saying to not do those things because those things, I've done those things and they've made just a tremendous impact on me. But if that's all that those things are, if that's kind of the, the, the overall way that you're, you're incorporating those things into your life, then that's going to be bad for the kingdom and bad for you. It's going to be bad for the kingdom because ultimately, you know, you're really only giving just kind of one little percent of your life to like Jesus time which I think deep down we kind of know is, you know, Jesus didn't die just to kind of get 10% of us. He died for every square inch of us. Every square, you know, Paul says his life was not his own. It was bought at a price. It doesn't say just part of his life. It says his whole life, 100% of his life was bought by Christ. So, so it's bad for the kingdom, but it's also bad for you because think about this. You, you, you might go on the mission trip or whatever it is, and you might have this amazing mountaintop experience, but you come back to real life and then, you know, give it a couple weeks. It all fades away. Evangelism becomes an event, but not a lifestyle. But now think about the second model. In in, in the second model, sharing your faith isn't some sort of ball that you're juggling. It's a lifestyle you live. Your life has all these different spokes. Going to work, going to school. And all of those places you can see as opportunities for making Jesus known. And now this is where community comes in. An evangelistic lifestyle doesn't have to be just going around and talking everyone's head off about Jesus till they, till they hate you. I'm not saying that's bad. You, you should talk about Jesus. That's great. I'm just saying, like, sometimes we complain as Christians that we're being persecuted. Sometimes that's genuine. Sometimes we're persecuted for being stupid. <laughs> but, but here, let me give you three strands of, of what an evangelistic lifestyle with community looks like. One strand of that involves building relationships. Let me just ask you, I mean, do you look at yourself as a missionary everywhere you go? Do you think about yourself as a missionary everywhere you go? Every single person who's sitting in this room has what I would call a sphere, a sphere of influence. There are people that God has already put in your life who are people that you see regularly. So it could be coworkers, it could be classmates, it could be family members or, or, or longtime friends. Those are people who are in your sphere. Those are people that God has put in your life for you to reach out to. I mean, you probably have more influence on some of those people in your sphere than any other, any other Christian in their life. So everyone has people that, that are in their sphere. I mean, even as I say that, you can probably bring some names to mind of people that are in your sphere of influence. And so what that means is that evangelism isn't, it doesn't have to be just about making a bunch of awkward cold calls, but, but, but God actually wants to use the relationships that are already in your life. That building relationships with people that last, that are long-term, that those are bridges for seeing Jesus made known in another person's life. And, you know, the crazy thing about this is that it's so incredibly, stupidly messy. 
I mean, don't I wish that there was a formula for this and that you could just, you know, go through a couple of, of, of different simple steps, you know, and then all of a sudden you kind of hit step three and all of a sudden, you know, the time is right. You can share the message of Jesus and then someone will instantly say, man, I want to become a Christian right now. It's not usually how it works. It takes a lot of wisdom to know, like, man, I love this person. Where are they at in life? What does it look like to be Jesus to them? You know, are there ways that I can see Jesus come into their life through, through serving them, through listening to them, through being there with them in a hard time? Sometimes being straight up honest with them and saying, you know, hey, I see you pursuing all these things in your life, and I want to warn you that I think you're gaining the whole world and losing your soul. You know, I don't know what's going to be right in every single relationship, but God wants to use relationships with all their messiness so that each of us could kind of have the mindset of a missionary where we're, we're using those, those relationships that God has given us in our sphere of influence to be a light for him. So one ingredient, one strand out of these three for a lifestyle of evangelism, it's building relationships. Second strand is inviting people into community. Community is where the gospel becomes visible. It's the hermeneutic for the gospel. I mean, as one example that I think of when, I, when it comes to how this works, you know, last week, we just reshuffled small groups for this next quarter, and it's been really cool to hear about how already there have been all these just fabulous ideas that have been thrown around about different things that, like, some of your small group leaders want to do together outside of Thrive. You know, there's also you know, the holidays coming up, and I know of people who are planning different holiday parties, Halloween parties, probably soon to be Thanksgiving parties, Christmas parties, all these things. Think about these as miniature versions of Christian community. And, 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 you know, the great thing about this, too, is that those things aren't weird. You know, sometimes things that Christians do together can seem really, really weird if it's not something that you've, you've grown up with. <laughs> sometimes even when you have grown up with it. But, but, but what if you were to see all of the different social things that you do during the week, you know, even if it's just like going out to a meal with some friends or, or having a movie night at your house or a game night at your house or going bowling with people, what if you looked at those as little tiny examples of Christian community where you can invite people into those? You know, like, man, who wouldn't want to, like, accept an invitation on a lonely Friday night to go bowling? Or, I don't know, maybe bowling's lame to you. You, you fill in the blank. <laughs> those things are the perfect opportunity for inviting people in. And the point is not just to, is, is not just to kind of have a fun evening. That's, that's, of course, great. But do you realize that that gets to be an experience of what the love, what the, the truth, of all, all these different things we've talked about in Christian community, that's what they're on display. I mean, I'm sure there are people in this room who would agree with me that, like, you've had experiences where, like, you've seen a group of Christians and you've been on the outside, and then someone's invited you in, and it's just the most amazing experience ever. You know, I remember when I lived in China, there was a group of five other Christians that I met who were American visiting students, and I saw these guys, I thought, you know, these guys, they're all friends, I can tell they're Christians, I just want to hang out with them, you know, I want to be with them. And as I got invited into their little group of friends, and I got to experience the love of Christ, took my faith from here to here. So what if you saw just like your social life as a way to have people experience what Christian community is actually like? So first strand, building relationships. Second strand, inviting people into community. And then last strand is actually sharing the message of Jesus. I mean, that is important and it's actually necessary. 
And just one example of this that kind of combines all three of these things was a guy that I knew named Michael. Good name. And Michael was a guy that I knew when I was doing some, some graduate school. And he was the friend of a classmate of mine. And he came and visited this, this, this classmate. And he began to kind of spend some time with this little group of friends that, uh, that we had. And the, the thing about this little group was that we were international students from all over the place. You know, you're talking Africa, Europe, Asia, America, you know, different languages, different backgrounds, different skin colors. And he's, he's hanging out with us. And he gets puzzled. He's like, man, I just don't get this. You guys are all so different, and yet you love each other. It was an experience he had never had before. And so first of all, there was a relationship there. You know, the, this friend who he came to visit, that was a relationship. I got to be a relationship. I got to have a lot of good conversations with him. He got to also be invited into a broader Christian community. And then one night, we were up in a little kitchen, and, you know, there were a bunch of us hanging out. And eventually, those other people left. It was just the two of us, just Michael and Michael sitting in the kitchen. And we were talking, and we were talking about faith, and all of a sudden, I just had this realization. I was like, wait a minute. Like, I'm listening to what this guy is saying. I think, I think he is ready to accept Jesus right now. And so I asked him, I was like, hey, do you want to accept Jesus right now? And he was like, yeah. And so he prayed. Like, I didn't even tell him what to pray. He just prayed. And he, he wasn't even a native English speaker. He's Russian. He starts praying this beautiful, awesome prayer in English. And I asked him afterward, what did that feel like? He said, my whole body feels like an earthquake. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> this is an example of what God can do through a lifestyle of evangelism, where these three strands of relationships and community and sharing the gospel, all those come together, and it is just so stinking beautiful. So what we're going to do now is we move into small groups. Um, tonight, your, your leaders have come up with the small group questions. I don't even know what they are, and I'm going to just kind of turn it over to them in a minute. But one thing that I would ask you to do tonight in small groups, um, if you're here tonight and you're a Christian then I would ask you to think of five people, you, know, you can do one for each finger just so it's easy to remember. Think of five people who are in your sphere. Regular relationships that, that God has put in your life for you to be an influence on. And then of those people, I want your small group to take five or more of those, you know, at least, at least five. And for the rest of this quarter to adopt those five names as people that you as a community want to reach out to. And that might look like praying for them. You know, it could be that each week when you come together as a small group that you just remember to pray through those, those names. It could be that, like, as your small group decides that you guys want to do some stuff outside of Thrive, that, like, those are people that you're going to make a point to reach out to and invite. Do you see kind of the, the, the point, how, how, what, what I'm getting at? So as you move into small groups tonight, um, leaders, feel free to go in whatever direction you want, but I would just ask that you, you consider having everyone go around, think of those five people in your spheres, and think about, man, as a community, how can our small group be a light in the light of people who need to know Jesus? Cool? Okay, well, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to move into small groups. Jesus, thank you so much for the community that you've given us, not just here at Thrive, but um, just wherever we are with other people who love Jesus and, and want to know him and serve him. Um, and God, I, we just, um, I just say sorry for all the different ways that, um, that I and that we have not been the kind of light that you want us to be um, through the ways that we've lived, the ways that we've treated other people. 
But Lord, just thank you that you haven't given up on us. Thank you that you're a faithful God who uses even messed up people um, to be a light in the lives of a world that, that needs you. Um, and God, I pray that you would use um, all of the people in this room um, as, as just missionaries who would have an evangelistic lifestyle, who would just make the most of the relationships that you've put in their lives. Um, and God, would you use the small groups here as little miniature communities of people who love Jesus and just, man, are so excited about seeing other people know him too. Um, God, there's nothing better than knowing Jesus. Um, we just ask, Lord, that you would use even just this next time in small groups um, to sow seeds that will one day bear fruit for eternity. And we pray this in your name. Amen.